You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. You're listening to The Western Rookie, a hunting podcast full of tips, tricks, and strategies from seasoned Western hunters. There are plenty of opportunities out there. We just need to learn how to take on the challenges. Hunting is completely different up there. I've harvested 26 big game animals. You can fool their eyes, but you can't fool their nose. 300 yards back to the road turned into three miles back the other way. It's always cool seeing new hunters go and harvest an animal. I don't know what to expect. If there's anybody I want in the woods with me, it'll be you. Welcome back to another Western Rookie Podcast episode brought to you by Go Hunt. And today's episode is going to be a little bit special because we're bringing back everyone's second favorite Western Rookie host, Dan Matthews. <laughs> wow. Second favorite already. They forgot. They probably forgot about me by now. They're like, this guy is so great. I don't even remember the days before he was the host. Well, I certainly hope so. If If that's not the case, I would prefer people not let me know. Um, and just let me be ignorant and blissful. Um, but yeah, it's been about a year, man, since we started transitioning. Since you started, we did you know a couple months of uh, uh, dual hosts or co-hosts, and then you um, kind of officially left during the the shed hunt in New Mexico, and have been doing your own adventures um, since then. So I figured it'd be great to get you back on, kind of hear about what you've been doing and, and especially what you got planned for this next year, since it's kind of application season already. Yeah, man, it's crazy that the applications are like upon us. And I've been, I've been actually talking with a bunch of different people about different plans for the season. Cause I've got to sort that out with Sam being pregnant. Luckily she, she'll deliver well before season starts but this spring is going to kind of be dictated by how she's feeling. So um, we'll kind of see how that goes. Yeah, that's going to be a big um, big wrench in your like shed hunting season and turkey hunting season, I suppose, because that's kind of going to fall right in the middle of those two. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm going to still try to get out and kill some turkeys this year. I don't really put a ton of time. In fact, I've never traveled anywhere else to turkey hunt, but I've had a lot of people offering hunts, and I'm like, I need to start taking people up on this. And so I might try to pair it with a couple, like, family trips where Dang. I can sneak away for a day or two during the family trip and uh, go out and kill some turkeys. Yeah, I mean, it sounded like Steven was all gung-ho to shoot some turkeys in Colorado if you ever wanted to take him up on that offer. Yeah, I feel like Colorado would be a sweet spot. And, I mean, those birds out there are beautiful. Like, seeing the pictures that he sent us, um, I'd love to get out there. I actually – I know we're going to be down in Florida while Florida turkey season is going on, and I've gotten an open invite to go and really hunt anything on a 6,500-acre forestry lease. And they're like, dude, we've got everything out here. I mean, my buddy saw – uh, Florida Panther on the road right behind him when he was deer hunting the other day. He's he's getting 70 plus turkey on camera every day. Deer, bear, you name it, they've got it. A lot wow. of pigs too. Any, so I'm like, any man, pythons? 
No, he's he's far enough north in the state that I don't think they're really affected by pythons. But <coughs> he does come across quite a few other snakes. Um, I know there's gators still where he's at, and so uh, there's a whole lot of wildlife that I wouldn't normally run into here in Missouri. Yeah, I just man, living in Florida just has to be like an adventure every day of like what's gonna scare me today. Oh, yeah. It, it seems like Florida is the Australia of the United States. Like, everything wants to bite you, sting you, eat you. And my wife is all about living in Florida. And I'm like, I just don't. Like, I wouldn't feel comfortable with my kids just going and fishing a pond in Florida because a gator might come up and grab them. Yeah, like a small child would be nothing for, like, a 12-foot gator. Um, oh, or yeah. like oh, hey, look at a cute little snake, and it turns out to be a water moccasin. Yeah, I I just, I'm so unfamiliar with gators and snakes like that that I don't react well to it. In fact, we were just down there over Christmas, and for part of the trip, we stayed with um, my sister-in-law. And she's at this really nice apartment in the middle of the city, and I took my dog out to go to the bathroom one day, and there were a bunch of ducks, like, right on the edge of the pond. And they were, like, clearly city ducks. They didn't care that we were there. My dog was very interested in them. But I was trying to get his attention elsewhere. And then I see something swimming in the water. Like, I saw ripples. And I was like, oh, shoot, that's got to be that's gotta be a gator. And I, I'm looking, and all of a sudden, this tiny little head pops up. And sure enough, there was a baby gator. Well, in the course of sitting there, I probably saw 10 or 12 baby gators, right? I mean, within five feet of the bank. Wow. And all that told me was there's probably a mature gator in there probably that gave one. birth to these not that long ago. Yeah. Probably. And so I pulled my phone out. I was hoping to get like a, a nature is metal moment, seeing a gator come up and grab one of those ducks. But, uh, I told my sister-in-law about it, and she's like, I've never seen a gator out there. Are you serious? And I have video to prove it. So I was like, this is literally right there where you take your dog and go to the bathroom. Yeah, that's that's crazy. I mean, you know, I live in Minnesota, which is basically, you know, not too much different than where you grew up in Wisconsin. There's, like, nothing out here to hurt you. Yeah, I mean, unless you have a small dog, maybe a hawk or an eagle, yeah. and then – I mean, even the fish there, like, I know that, I know that pike and muskie will grab ducklings, but, you know, their odds of them trying to attack a dog, even a small dog, is pretty little. Yeah, that wouldn't really do anything. Maybe a coyote's on small dogs. We have wolves up north, but I don't think that's really too much of an issue. Um, Yeah, I'm just kind of thinking through, like, what things could, like, a snapping turtle? Like, if you stepped on a snapping turtle, that might be bad. Oh, yeah. But... Yeah, that would suck. That's not really a common enough thing to, like, worry about versus, like, checking no, your like shoes it. every time you put them on to see if, like, a scorpion or a spider crawled in them. Dude, that's what I don't understand is places with things like that. I mean, we were at a friend's house in, in Florida. Um, it would have been last summer. And I I was walking across the floor, and I was barefoot, and I looked, and – same exact type of thing. There's a tiny little scorpion walking across their floor. And I was like, are you kidding me? There's just a, like, 
I'm walking barefoot. What if I hadn't looked down and stepped right on it? I don't know how deadly they are or if they are. Maybe it just stings and hurts for a while. But, again, it's so foreign to me that it freaked me out pretty bad. Every time I put my shoes on, I shook them out after that. If I picked clothes up or really anything up off the floor, I was checking to make sure there wasn't one hiding in them. Yeah. Well, I mean, to be fair, I got bit by a spider this weekend in Minnesota. So, well, I assume it was a spider. What kind of spider? I have no idea. I just woke up the next day and I had like a big red welt in the middle. Um, And it was like a, there's like a little ball inside of it, you know, whatever. And I'm like, man, you know, I was doing some wood pile stuff, chopping some wood, cleaning out the shop, doing some, you know, random, you know, homestead chores. And I'm like, yeah, but I got, you know, bit by a spider or something, but it's just crazy. Like, and it didn't hurt at all and now it's gone so it's not the end of the world but to be fair i did get bit by a spider in minnesota dang yeah i'm not i don't like spiders i'm not they're definitely not the worst thing out there like i would much rather come across spiders than a snake i don't like snakes at all yeah one thing that i don't that i'm not a fan of would be like a spot and stock western hunt where you're like crawling and you see a rattlesnake you find a rattlesnake just looking at you in the face or in that same spirit, all these guys that hunt in places where there's timber rattlesnakes just cruising yep. through the woods. And you're like, I've seen like TikToks where a dude will be in a stand and like a five foot timber rattler is like going right across underneath his tree. And I'm like, uh, hell no. Um, like, are you guys wearing like snake boots everywhere? Like you're walking around in the dark. Like I'm assuming snakes aren't super active at you know, night, I don't know. I don't know anything really about snakes, but like those two, I think definitely crawling up on one out West, like on a spot and stock antelope hunt would be by far worse. But just the fact yeah. that like there could be a tim, there like, there is a timber rattler somewhere in these woods at all times would also not be great. Well, especially with like certain types of elk and mule deer hunting, or even where we were in New Mexico shed hunting. I'm like, that, it, it just seems like the perfect area for them to be hanging out. Underneath the rocks, oh, there's yeah. so many boulders. It's like you step over a log, and you really have to kind of look every time you step over a log. I found my first, I think I told you about my first shed that I found on my hunting property in Missouri. I wasn't even, I wasn't even shed hunting, but I was walking through the woods, and in this same spot, I had like a seven-foot black rat snake that had crossed in front of me probably a month or two prior and I was walking and it just every time I walk in that on that spot in the trail I think about that and I step over a log and I look down because I'm like dude I don't want a snake to be here again and that's where I found my first white tail shed in Missouri okay first of all I've never seen a seven foot snake which would be terrifying the biggest thing I've ever seen is like a two and a half foot gardener snake you know the big for a gardener snake but not a big snake, so seven foot snake would be intimidating. But I, I feel you're like, I don't know, you're worried because there's one day at our old house, my wife has a cat, and so I let the dog out, and for some reason this cat just bolted out the door between my legs right after him, and the cat's obviously not supposed to go outside, and so I'm like, crap, and I'm barefoot. It's first thing in the morning. I'm wearing like gym shorts and a hoodie, and so I run out after this thing, and the cat goes like across our landscaping and then like down our stone steps out into the grass, and so I run. I'm running off the steps and I go like off the first to the second step 
and I put my foot down, and as I look, there's a snake on the first, like, just below the top, like, on the first step oh, down, dude. like, four inches from my foot, but I was moving so fast, like, there's no time to, you know, do anything, I just kept going, and I'm like, oh, boy, <laughs> and it's just a gardener snake, but still, when you almost put your foot down on it, and you don't even know, like, your bare foot, so that was not great. So I grabbed the cat, throw the cat, like, <laughs> I hope my wife doesn't listen to this, <laughs> throw my cat through the door, like the door's open, like on the other side of the couch so it can't get out again in time. And then I close the door, I quick grab a shovel, run back to, like, go chop the snake in half, and it's gone. And I'm like, shoot. Oh, gosh. It was, like, the worst way to start a morning. <laughs> Dude, there's something in all of us. Like, I don't care who you are. When you a snake that you weren't expecting to be there even the guys i've never been around one of these guys but the, the dudes who like catch pythons or the there's a guy online who always like yoinks animals oh He's yeah like, oh I'm look a... at this cool animal yoink swamp it's puppies like, and yeah danger noodles yeah, yeah. When, when you walk when you're walking and there's one there that you didn't expect there's that like heart drop moment where holy cow, like, I almost just stepped on this snake. And I haven't had any experience with very, like, water moccasins. I've seen plenty of those in Missouri. Typically, we're fine. I did kill one that was literally coming after one of the kayaks while we were on the river. And the girl in the kayak was screaming, and I walked up and I smacked this thing with the paddle. Um, that, and then I've seen two rattlesnakes one in Arkansas, and one in Colorado. And other than that, that's really the extent of it. Having the right tool for the job can make all the difference in the world, and that applies for Western hunts too, especially if you're coming from the Midwest like myself. Because if you don't have it, there's no going home to get it. And that's why many of us Western hunters are also gear junkies. And the same is true for the folks over at Go Hunt. They have built the Go Hunt gear shop to be jam-packed full of the best, highest quality gear needed for your Western hunt. They try out everything that gets into the shop, and if they don't like it or they don't use it, it doesn't make the cut. So if you need something for your next trip, Go Hunt has something for you in the gear shop. They've got everything from optics, gear, camping accessories, apparel, footwear. They've got packs, and they've got some of the best brands in the industry. So if you're in the market for some new gear, consider checking out the Go Hunt Gear Shop. They're an avid supporter of the outdoors. They are supporters of this podcast. And most importantly, they're supporters of you. They want to help you be more successful in the West. So there's no better place to shop for gear, information, and knowledge than Go Hunt. And if you use the code WESTERN when you check out, you're going to get 10% off most of the regular priced items in the shop. So head over to GoHunt.com. Get the gear you need. Use the code Western and get the right tool for the job this fall. Experience I have with venomous snakes. Yeah, I don't. I'm not a fan. I don't. I think that guy. I know the guy you're talking about in the Florida Everglades, and he usually doesn't just yoink the pet venomous ones. But still, like, I don't really want to touch any snake. But I've never seen a venomous snake, you know, live on the hoof. Um, I've seen a dead rattlesnake in a parking lot in Nebraska, and it still scared me. I didn't realize it was dead oh, yeah. at first. It was, like, right next to the sidewalk. Like, you'd think the people that, like, killed it, it was, like, a, a tourist center. Like, uh, I think it was for Chimney Rock. And the lady found it when she went to put the flag up on the flagpole. And so she killed it with a shovel. But she left it, like, a foot off the sidewalk. 
And so I'm walking up, and I'm like, yeah, the sign says there might be rattlesnakes, but they, it's just Nebraska. You know, they probably just have to say that. And I look down, and there's a rattlesnake yeah. like a foot off the cement next to my leg. And I'm like, ah, <laughs> took off. And, uh, then I, and then I saw the shovel, and I put two and two together, and I'm like, at least you could have moved it, like thrown it off the side. You know, people aren't seeing it. Um, but, yeah, not a fan of snakes, not a fan at all. And I remember asking Stephen about that when you were shed hunting in New Mexico. I was like, what are the chances we're going to find a snake? And he's like, you know, well, I don't know. They're here. I don't see a lot of them. I think it's early. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that doesn't really instill confidence in me, Stephen. No, not at all. I thought the same thing when he said that. I'm like, it would have been much better if you were like, dude, I hardly ever see them. Like, right. they're out, but you're not going to see one. And instead it was like, oh, they're definitely out here. Yeah. It's almost like, like oh, that. And we're reaching down to pick things up off the ground when we find them. Yeah, that part isn't, that doesn't bother me as much because you can typically, like, see everything around it. But I was going to say, it's like, you know, when you're walking, and you probably felt this when you found that first elk shed after, like, all that time hiking, but then you found a couple nice ones. You know, when you, like, look to the side and you see a shed, like, at five feet, like, it's right there. And, you like, it's just instant. You're not like, ah, is that a tie? I don't know. But you, it's just boom, right there. And you instantly get, like, filled up. Like, that's just a wave of adrenaline. It's, like, the same thing with the snake except in the opposite direction. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely agree with that. My my fear was that, and I didn't think about this in the moment, which is probably an issue. But, like, when I would find a shed, I'd be so excited about it that I wasn't really paying attention to anything else. You know? Luckily, I would go up and take pictures and stuff first, but my first instinct is like, dude, go and grab it. And in that moment, I don't think at all about, oh, what if there's a snake here? Because I'm not used to having to worry about that. And now hindsight, you know, thinking back on it, I'm like, I probably should have kind of scanned the ground to make sure there wasn't something hanging out right next to it. Yeah, how funny would it be if you take like your as they lay picture? And then you pick it up and you're whatever. And then you get home and you're showing your wife or something. And she's like, you grabbed that right next to the snake. And she, you're like, oh, dude. what do you mean? And then there's like a rattlesnake like coiled up right behind the shed or something that you never saw. That's the thing of nightmares, man. I <laughs> would not like that at all. Like you always see those pictures of people posing in the West and then they get home and there's like a set of eyes in the background. Yeah. And and everyone's like, oh, it's a mountain lion. And it's like, ah, it's probably a deer, but whatever. Um, yeah. I don't know if those are usually made up or not, but it would be kind of like that where you're like, you had no idea how close to danger you really were. Yeah. I've done that with, uh, like, phone scope videos where I'm, I'm looking at something and I didn't even realize there was another thing in the frame, um, whether it be another elk or a coyote or something like that. Um, but I, I've had that happen before where I'm like looking back in the moment I was so focused on what I was looking at that I didn't notice a flicker of another tail or a coyote. I've had that with trail camera pictures actually. Oh, I've got yeah. a couple of like a buck and I get the picture and then I download the H D video and when I get the video it's ten seconds long and not just a, a snapshot and I notice like a coyote moving in the background behind the buck. Yeah, yeah, we had a couple of those come through the other night where there was a couple of hidden coyotes. We have, like, a pack of coyotes by this new farm that's huge, like 12. 
coyotes. Jeez. And sometimes they go off, and I'll be laying in bed, and I can hear them from, like, inside the house with all the windows closed. So they're relatively close, like, closer than I've ever heard coyotes from inside a house before. Man, we've got a serious issue with coyotes in Missouri. And I actually brought my AR and just a, a mouth call, coyote call up with me in case I decide to sneak out tomorrow and hunt. Um, but it, it just seems like the predator issue is becoming more and more prevalent at my hunting properties. But I think they've become pretty smart to call yeah. because I just don't seem to have luck calling them, even though I get them on camera every night now. And I've had more bobcats on camera this year than I have in probably the 10 years I've hunted this property combined. We've only had one ever. Like one bobcat we've had on like, you could tell it's the same bobcat because it's kind of like the same couple days and that he hit a couple different cameras, but it's, you know, we've only had one in, in Minnesota, but I think it's like no one traps anymore, which I think I'm going to start trapping a little bit, but I think that's a big part of it is, you know, like no one's going after these predators anymore. No, and I would love to trap. Unfortunately, I mean, I can trap on my 25 acres, but I talked to the guy who leases my main hunting property. He leases it for cattle and crops. And I was like, dude, how would you feel about me setting traps out there? And he's like, man, we've got a couple dogs, and they like to kind of run around, and I just wouldn't want one of them getting caught in it. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. That sucks because I have never come up on a – bobcat or a coyote in a trap i've never really set traps before yeah so it's something that i definitely want to get into but i also don't think i have the time to add another outdoor hobby yeah that's the issue so what i'm gonna do and i'm surprised i haven't seen this yet but i'm gonna set some of my uh i have the same tacticams you have and they're all solar panels so the batteries last forever and i'm gonna put yeah i'm gonna put some out on the property where i've been seeing tracks i'm gonna try i'm gonna suck for, for for a while right like trapping's not easy but i'm gonna put the camera on the trap set and then i'm gonna turn the, i probably will turn the video up a little bit to like 30 seconds because i'm not gonna get a ton of hits and that way when a coyote comes through obviously i'll see a picture be like, oh cool it's in a good spot but then the video will catch and i'll like see what's going on like oh you know he smelled it but he didn't put his foot in the right spot you know maybe i have to change something or, hopefully, you know, boom, got him, and now I have a trail camera picture, so I don't even have to go check my trap until I catch something. So I'm not wasting time, and I'm not, you know, putting more scent on the ground. And it's just right behind yeah, my house, so, so as soon as I catch one, I, I'll know, and I can just go out the next morning and take care of it. I wonder, I mean, I don't know what the legality of that is in in Minnesota. In Missouri, you have to check your traps every 24 hours. And I don't know if that would be, if, I could electronically check them with a camera like that or not, but well, yeah, that's one you can, big thing that I have to deal with. You can like, set your – I don't know either. It's a good question, you know, because you could set your check-in. You could turn your camera to do a check-in photo once a day and be like, yeah. look, officer, I checked my trap, you know. It, it yep. hasn't had – I don't – I feel like it would probably be a headache, but you would probably win that in a court of law. I feel like you would, especially because you can prove, like, hey, look, right? I, I checked. I know every 24 hours. But then I think their rebuttal to that would be, well, did you actually look at the picture or do you just get them sent to your phone? 
Well, I would say, of course and, I looked at the picture. Who has yeah. cell cameras and doesn't look at the pictures? <laughs> oh, dude, it doesn't matter what time, day or night. If my if my camera goes off, I'm checking it. Yeah, so, I'm sure someone will uh, write in and be like, yeah, that's highly illegal. There's like, here's the law that says you cannot use trail cameras to trap coyotes. See, and, and I can definitely see it being like that where, hey, you can't have a trail camera set up or you can't use that to electronically check it. It has to be an in-person check every 24 hours. That might be something I, I call in about to Missouri Department of Conservation because even on my 25 acres, I've got a bobcat, and it, it's about every two weeks. It'll come through like three nights in a row. Oh, really? And then it disappears, and then it comes back. Um, but, yeah, this year I've had, man, I don't know how many different bobcats it is, but I've had uh, probably – two dozen pictures of bobcats this year and one of the or two of the pictures had two adult bobcats in the same or in the video and then i had one earlier this year that was a cub or a kitten or whatever a uh young bobcat's called and a mature bobcat in oh, the same video it's probably got a family so yeah it's been and and the thing is man they're right like where where I sit in the stand is where I see them crossing all the time. I'm pretty sure I know where they're denned up because there's a couple brush piles in the woods that um, that I see them the most at. Mm. And they came through and logged the woods, I think, three seasons ago now. And then they left a bunch of, like, the junk that they had to just push out of the way to get the dozer in yeah. piled up. And so I'm like, it seems like a perfect spot for them. And where they're crossing the fence is like 50 yards from that brush pile. So I've got a pretty good feeling that's where they're hanging out at. I just don't know a whole lot about bobcats to know if they use the same den all the time, if they use different dens all the time. But there's nights where I've got eight coyotes and a bobcat all on camera. This episode is brought to you by Steelhead Outdoors. From the moment I first saw a Steelhead Outdoor safe, I knew I was going to order one. The ability to customize the color, the configuration, and most importantly, the ability to move and assemble my safe panel by panel makes Steelhead Outdoors the clear winner when it comes to gun safes. And if you haven't ordered a Steelhead Outdoor gun safe yet, you can still benefit from their innovation and creativity because the guys over at Steelhead have designed some awesome accessories their case keeper allows you to hang all of your hunting caps and gun cases off the side of your safe and it keeps your hunting room looking clean and organized or my favorite is the bow keeper that lets me hang my bow off the side of my safe so me and my wife can walk into our safe room hang up our bows after shooting in the backyard and not have to worry about the hassle of putting our bows back in the case every time both the bow keeper and case keeper are magnetic and work with any safe, which means you can use them now with your current safe, and when the time comes to order your Steelhead Outdoors gun safe, you'll already have all the accessories you need. Head over to SteelheadOutdoors.com to order your bow keeper and case keeper today. On the same camera, so. Yeah, well, you should definitely figure out if you can use your trail cameras to check them then. Because that would be, it coyotes would be great. And I feel like, if you really think about it, there's a lot of pros to using a trail camera. And, you know, I really couldn't think of a con. Like, 
you know, like if you were going to use a drone for elk hunting, it's like, okay, well, there's some obvious like red flags. Like you're have a really unfair advantage over the elk at this point. Cause you could fly yeah. the drone up and pinpoint where this elk is. And then you could go shoot it with a rifle. But with the trap, I really think the only thing that would give you an advantage is like you, you can see what's working and what's not working and just learn how to trap faster. But you, you know, your trail yeah. camera is not bringing them in. You can't change your trap, you know, because you saw one walk 10 feet the other way. Like you have to go out there and, and change the trap. And then that's too late, obviously. But if you start thinking about yeah. it, it's like, well, it's better for the coyotes because you can see right away when you get one. So you could go out and get it right away. It's better for the environment. Like you're not wasting as much gas driving around checking your traps every day. And, you know, we have a huge issue with like, you know, Ducks Unlimited talks about like all the meso predators because no one's trapping and how it's so hard on, on like duck recruitment and like ground nesting oh, yeah. birds. And it's like, well, in order to fix that, like we need to be more efficient trappers. How do you be get more yep. efficient? Like, well, learn faster, like have better tools. And I just feel like that would be like a little hack if it's not, if it's legal, I feel like it would be a hack. If it's not legal, I can see why no one's ever talked about it. Yeah, I feel like anything that makes it more ethical or like allows you to get to the animal quicker, because that's the type of thing. If I had a bobcat or a coyote in a trap, I would get out there immediately. Well, if my trail camera goes yeah. off, I see it. You know, now it's not sitting there for potentially 23 hours right. before being checked. I would rather get out there and, and efficiently put it down. Um, but the one thing that I do really want to do, regardless of uh, bobcat or coyote trapping, is put out some dog-proof raccoon traps. Because uh, oh, yeah. the raccoons are another one that I've been having a serious issue with. And I... these things are fat. If I, I yeah. had a bigger area to hunt, I would get hounds up there. But because it's not a huge area, uh, I think I'm going to have to resort to trapping them. I w- I'm there with you. We have a ton of raccoons at our, our family farms back home because it's more woods, like woods egg. Um, and we get pictures all summer long on trail cams of, like, big, chunky ground pandas, you know, running around in our yeah. food plots. The problem is, like, the whole 24-hour rule, like, I can't. You know, even if I use trail cameras and Alec, I still, like, wouldn't be able to check the, like, I wouldn't be able to go get the raccoon on a random Tuesday. And so I, I can't yeah. do that. But there's a ton of them. And I'm, I'm assuming we have them here, too, because we have, like, lots of oak trees. And it's not as much egg, but if we do have them, I'm definitely setting some dog proofs because, you know, I want to hunt turkeys on the farm here because I've never shot a turkey. I've never really hunted them either. But if it's, like, right out my back door, I would love to try yeah dude the raccoons i i shot one with my bow this year and uh my buddy was hanging in the same tree as me with a camera and he filmed it and that was pretty crazy we actually had three of them come in while we were deer hunting like they all came in together late morning like a weird time to see raccoons out and about and i've had that multiple times where i see raccoons i had another instance uh i had two raccoons come in one night, it was probably three hours before uh, legal shooting light ended, had two of them come in, and it's like they're active all the time. And I'm pretty sure I know what tree they're in. There's a big leaned over a tree that's all hollowed out. And so uh, I, I don't know, man, I don't know if I'd have more fun trying to trap one of those or if I would have more fun uh, predator calling in because I've seen videos of guys doing that where they put out a call 
like a, a fox pro and they put a raccoon distress call and those raccoons come in frantically and they shoot them really um i think both of those would be pretty fun yeah i saw one earlier this year where it just came sprinting in the guy had like this really rough looking raccoon uh it wasn't a stuffed raccoon but you know like you know how they make those uh rabbit it's almost like a stock but it like shakes and they use them for oh yeah, um, yeah. decoys for coyotes it was like that uh just a little like fake stock raccoon decoy and this raccoon came flying in and tackled it That'd and i was funny. like dude that is sweet and it was only five feet from the guys and they ended up shooting it but i feel like anytime you can call an animal in is pretty exciting so oh yeah that might be my focus uh, as soon as whitetail season's over, is getting out, killing some predators, and hopefully get the numbers back up for the deer and the turkey. Yeah. Yeah, I can hear that. So, in addition to doing some predator hunting, either trapping or, or hunting them, um, have you started working on the rest of your plan? So, obviously, all the listeners know you are a pretty dedicated rifle elk hunter. I assume you're going back yeah. to rifle elk camp this year in Colorado again. So I actually don't know about that. I might switch over and do my first archery hunt for Ooh. elk in Colorado this year. Finally yeah, got to the, you. Well, so it was it was kind of a forced thing. I kept saying like, man, I'll never, I'll probably never archery hunt Colorado for elk until you know I get points to draw a major unit. Right. But this year, I don't know if it was a late winter or. Everybody talked about the winter kill. We didn't see any evidence of winter kill where we hunted. Um, no deadheads, no carcasses, nothing. Really? And so I was like, man, I don't know that that's what happened, but I think maybe the late winter coming in didn't push the elk into that area yet, but we saw a record low number of elk this year. Mm. I mean, I'm talking our whole camp all together. I think we saw 30 elk. Yeah, and you and guys have, like, 30 normally, hunters, so. Oh, normally, like, that's that's a morning hunt. Right. You see that many. Like, one guy will see that many. We've seen as many as twelve to 1,500 in a week. Yeah. And now down to 30, it sounds like a lot of the guys basically are wanting to pull the plug on that area. And for me, I'm like, man, if I'm going to go explore a new area, I might want to do it with my bow. So... Yeah. I think this year might be the year that I dive into archery hunting with my bow. Yeah, that's or archery hunting. Oh. <laughs> archery hunting with your bow, not your crossbow. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, I think it's a great time to be out in the woods walking around. I mean, the weather's typically a lot better. Um, I love it, man. Archery elk hunting is a blast. I also, though, might not be doing the normal elk hunt myself. Um, oh, really? The Montana one? Well, we we state hop because we were running out of points in some of the units. So last year we did archery elk um, in Colorado with Stephen. Uh, he came out for a day and hunted with us, um, gave us some tips and some spots to check out. But, no, I think, um, you know, the group will be headed back to Montana, I believe, this year, which is our second favorite spot. But this is the first year my wife is out of residency. She's done with everything, you know, related to her career. And she's just, you know, a staff at the hospital now. And so this is going to be her first real chance to get out west and do a western hunt. 
And so we're going to do that together instead. And so we're doing, nice. she picked antelope as the first hunt, which I think is a great choice. Um, yeah. And so we're going to do an antelope, a rifle antelope hunt. And then just with everything going on, um, just, I don't know if we can swing two big hunts per year with vacation days is basically what it comes down to. Um, and so we're going to do that for sure. And then we'll obviously be hunting, you know, as much as we can otherwise. And I think we're trying to plan a, um, a shed hunt. I don't know if we're going to be able to do like New Mexico, Arizona, Colorado again with Steven, just cause it probably takes more days than we'll have for it. Yeah. But I think we want to get out somewhere, you know, minimum South Dakota where I've typically gone, but hopefully maybe Wyoming or Montana. Yeah, that'd be sweet. Yeah. I, uh, I actually just talked to Steven on Tuesday um, on my podcast. Oh, perfect. We talked about shed hunting, and he's like, you just tell me when. He yeah. went out the other day. He was going to be a line hunt, and I don't know if a lack of snow kind of bumped that or what, but he's like, I ended up just going out shed hunting. He said he was only about five minutes from where we camped, and he went out and found six elk sheds. And, I mean, they were all last year's, obviously. They haven't dropped yet this year. Right. But, yeah, he went out and found six. And I was like, man, just thinking about that, every time I see the sheds from, from out there, it lights that fire again, and I really want to get back and do that. So I think that's on the car, or in the books for this year. I'm going to try to get out and do that. Um, I'll be back out in Colorado, like I said, for um, elk hunting and hopefully – I just don't know, man. It's tough for me. Do I get an over-the-counter tag, which I think I might do? Uh, there's a couple of guys out there that offered to take me out, and they're like, you know, if we have five guys, we're typically filling four tags out of the five. And so I'm like, well, shoot, man, those are really good odds. Right. Uh, if, they, if they're down to still take me this year, um, I might go do that. I just don't know how many points that unit is because I've got – I think I'm at seven points now for Colorado, Ooh. but it's like, if it's a, if it costs any points and it's not just an over the counter, it's like, I don't really want to burn my points on a one point unit when, oh. I, when I could try to draw a better one. For sure not. You know, so like, I'm sure you heard in the intro, but we've um, got Go Hunt as the title sponsor of the show. And so we've been doing a lot of focus on research and point strategies, and we got a whole bonus series of, like, draw odds and, and doing a bonus episode before each of the state's deadlines. And so yeah. I've just been spending a lot more time than you already know I spend on this whole topic of points. But, like, seven points in Colorado for elk is, like, the beginning of no man's land. So yeah. if I were you, I would really look and be like, you know, I'd be tempted to spend those seven points on like the best tag you can get because, you know, when I was in that position four years ago, uh, five points at that time was like, you can get some pretty good units for five, but then it takes like 12 to really get anything better. And so I'm sure yeah. by now, four years later, that might be seven. And that's kind of where you're like, do I spend these now or do I really just wait and not really get anything better for like six, eight more years? Um, and that sucks, yeah. you know, like thinking about that. So, um, I feel you, I feel you. It's yeah. like, man, I, I definitely agree with you though. It'd be a shame to have to spend those for a one point unit. Yeah. And, and that's kind of where I'm sitting with the whole thing. I mean, I think I'm going to put in for, I'm definitely going to put in for Utah again, try to, try to draw a, 
a buck tag for out there where me and my friend Linnea hunted a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, that would be a really fun hunt with my bow. But my, I had a buddy, Austin. He's He's got his own podcast, but we've hunted together for a long time now. He went out to Colorado with a few friends this year. First time ever elk hunting. First time archery elk hunting. And they got out there. And they talked to this guy at a local shop, and they were like, hey, man, any pointers? He goes, you know what? I'll tell you this. Go out, try to find some elk. They got out there a couple days before season, and he's like, if you, if you can't find elk, come back, and I'll give you a spot to go. Mm-hmm. And so they went out, and they were just struggling. I mean, hard to – they had a really hard time even seeing an elk. And they ended up going back into town for something, talked to him, and he's like, go check this area. Well – his first day hunting they they were hanging out they call these two bulls in and he gets a shot at one of them at 40 something yards he doesn't know he thinks it was on his sleeve but his string from his bow caught something and the arrow didn't make it to the elk oh wow and the the two elk run off and they get the one to stop by cow calling at it it stops at 83 yards, and he puts a frontal shot on it and kills it within 40 yards. Oh my I gosh. mean, like a perfect frontal shot. He's got it on video. He sent it to me. He's like, dude, you'll never believe this. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it was in a it was a 4 by 5 I think, and he's just, like, over the moon. But he's like, dude, that was a zero point, just an over-the-counter unit. Went out there, and luckily with some advice from a total stranger, uh, we went out there and found some elk. Yeah, so that's that. That gave me hope to be like, it, I know that's not that's not common. You know, nobody does that. In fact, when they ran into a game warden and uh, he was asking, and he's like, "Oh, so how long have you been doing this?" He's like, "Dude, this is literally my first year." And he's like, "There's no way you went out on opening day and killed an elk, your first time ever archery elk hunting." And he's like, "Yeah, dude." And the game warden's like, "Dude, I don't I don't run into people like that very often." Like, congrats. Yeah, so. that's a crazy story. I'm not sure I'm confident enough in my archer abilities to do a 80 yard frontal shot, but clearly it worked for him. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the same story. I mean, I had a bull our first day elk hunting. Stephen was trying to call it in. It was 58 yards, and there's just a tree in the way of its vitals. Um, you know, I could only see its like back half, but for, I mean, not my first day archery elk hunting, but first day in a over the counter unit in Colorado. Um, and almost sealed the deal, man. It was crazy. Like, it happens. Like, it's definitely – I had two bulls under 60 that trip. One of our guys had a shot at, like, 23, and he accidentally um, missed. (laughs) Clean missed. Oh, no. Yeah, so he was drawing, and the elk's walking out. He's drawing, and he's one of those archers that, like, draws high and then slowly drops his pin down to where he wants it. And he's like – it was like a 23-yard shot, I think. And he's like, as soon, oh, when no. my, I remember when my 40 pin hit the top of his back, the bull, like, saw me and, like, jumped and startled. And then I got scared and jumped and startled and accidentally punched the trigger. And my arrow went, like, you know, a foot over his back. And then, and then the bull stayed around for a while. He almost had a shot at 40, but he accidentally grabbed. If you're looking forward to another fall of hunting big bucks, but you're tired of freezing your tail off or getting busted by does, Head over to maverickhunting.com and check out their Maverick and Booner blinds. 
both series are incredibly easy to set up and get out in the woods. I set up two of the six panel blinds in the same week. And whether your favorite spot is on a field edge or way back in the sanctuary, you can have a hard-sided blind in your favorite spot this season. Keep the elements out and you're sent in with a Maverick hunting blind. The best part is Maverick blinds ship out of their factory in just one or two days, which means you still have plenty of time to get a comfortable blind set up before the cold weather arrives and those big bucks are cruising through your spots. Go to maverickhunting.com and use the code WESTERNROOKIE, that's one word, to save 10%. That's right, 10% on your Maverick hunting blinds. I have this grouse arrow out of his quiver for the second shot, and that kind of messed him up because he had it, like, knocked by the time he realized it was his grouse arrow. And, uh, oh. yeah, so it was, that was a real bummer. And then the funny thing was, like, four days later or three days later, some of our guys, like, went back to that spot, and they searched the mountainside and found his arrow and gave it to him as a as a consolation prize for joining the <laughs> I Missed an Elk Club. Oh, dude, that's funny, man. Yeah. He's like, I, I don't, I don't I know what to imagine. do with this arrow anymore. And one of the guys like, I'd clean it off and shoot something with it, kill something with it, get the luck back. Yeah, redemption arrow. So. Dang, man. I think that would be, I mean, that would be like pretty high up on my list of things to do in 2024. Uh, funny enough. I, I got a message from somebody I would have never expect to message me out of the blue the other day. And that is Jim Shockey. Oh, really? Uh, dude, just messaged me on Instagram. I woke up, checked my trail cameras like I always do when I wake up, and then opened up Instagram, saw I had a message, and looked, and I'm like, no way. There's no way this is actually him. And sure enough, uh, we've been we've been kind of talking back and forth in Messenger, and he's going to hop on my podcast. And I'm like, dude, I would if, – if I could have anybody – on the planet guide me on my dream hunt which is archery moose it would be him oh and yeah so you better believe when i talk to him i'm gonna be like hey man you got any openings coming up because my wife keeps telling me like you just need to finally go and do it you need to finally go and do it and we were trying to plan an alaska trip this past year because i had three of my friends turn 40 and i was like we need to go up to alaska we need to go do something big but that all fell through, so I, that might be in the cards for 2024. Um, if I can chat with chat with my wife, get the okay from her, uh, and obviously that would be after delivery, so I might be in the clear. Yeah, that would be a huge hunt. Hopefully, he's got like a late cancellation or something because I I would imagine a guy like Jim Shockey books up like years in advance. So oh, for sure. Yeah, I I think he does. But, I mean, the whole time I've been talking about and kind of planning uh, an archery moose hunt, it hasn't been guided. You know, I've always wanted to do it unguided, a fly-in, float-out, like float-a-river system a couple hundred miles or however far over the course of nine, ten days and just get to high points, glass, call, see what I can make happen. And I've seen a lot of people be successful with that. I'm not going to be super picky. Right. I know there's very, very strict antler restrictions for yeah. moose. Um, but, you know, if, if a legal bull comes in, there's no way I'm going to be able to pass anything up no. if it's legal. And so, I mean, that's always been my goal. I've never even considered doing a guided hunt. But now in talking 
with him, I'm like, that would be, that would probably be more of a dream hunt than an unguided hunt is to do a guided hunt with him. The problem is the price tag increases significantly <laughs> when you go guided. Yeah, that's a, that's a spendy hunt. I think there's a, a lot, like probably a good solid four zeros behind that number. Um, yeah. So, but it would be a sweet, like I would think a giant moose would be probably one of my top picks for sure. Um, but I've been recently kind of thinking more along the lines of just biting the bullet and figuring it out for um, over-the-counter do-it-yourself moose in Alaska, which there's a yeah. lot more tags than people think. Everyone thinks, like, you have to go guided in Alaska, but that's just not true. I mean, you don't. there's only no. three species where you have to go guided in Alaska, and the rest of them, um, you know. Grizzly, mountain goat, and bighorn, right? Or is it doll sheep? I think it's doll. Doll sheep. It's yeah. one of the sheep. It's the, yeah, brown bears, mountain goats, and one of the sheep. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, other than that, and I'm thinking, like, yeah, that's, it's still going to be an expensive hunt. Like, it's probably still going to be, you know, probably a four-figure bill by the time you travel to Alaska, line up your logistics, buy the tag. But that's something where you could budget for, for, like, maybe every two, three, four years. And you could do it, theoretically, like, five to ten times, depending on, every you know, everyone's means and vacation and whatever. But I'm like, if you got into moose hunting like every other year or every three years, like you probably shoot a couple moose in your lifetime versus saving your entire life to go on one extravagant hunt where you're still like 50% odds and you're so old by the time you, you know, have the money to do it that you can't really do it the same way you wanted to anyway. See, I, I've been, I've done a lot of research over the years on moose hunting in Alaska and really I don't think, oh dang, man. I'm I'm watching two bald eagles as I'm driving down the hallway or driving down the highway doing the death spin. You know when they lock talons? I thought that was their breeding case. Like, well, I just call it the death spin. I don't know what it is, but dude, just I wish I could have pulled over. I'm right next to a semi. Uh, that was sweet. I anyway, thought that was how they I'm, like were. That's like part of their mating ritual. I think it. I think it's. Uh, isn't it the two males that do it well i don't know maybe it it could be i don't know i've just seen it on national geographic i've never seen it in person um that was crazy the uh but as as i've been doing my research i think i think i could actually get an over-the-counter do the whole thing for under four thousand dollars not counting getting the meat back i don't know how much that's going to cost but I do know that most airlines, you can ship meat back for the price of uh, an extra bag. Because uh, we did that with, with blacktail deer and salmon when we brought all that back. We brought 75 pounds of it back, and I think it cost us about 300 extra dollars to get all of our meat back. Well, to be fair, there's quite a bit of difference between two fish and a blacktail deer and a moose. <laughs> oh, yeah. No. No, I definitely agree with that. But it's like even if that bill yeah. was another two or three thousand, you know, that's under the ten thousand dollar mark. And right. with with Alaska Air, I've told a lot of people this, and I think maybe you and I have talked about it. Alaska Air credit card, they've got a deal where if you put a thousand dollars on your credit card, 
you get a buddy ticket for free. Oh, really? And so literally a round trip ticket. So that means like, say you and I go to Alaska, I buy a ticket, you get a free ticket round trip, but it has to be on the same flights as me. Yeah. But then we just split the cost of my ticket. And now, you know, we're looking at 500 bucks round trip a piece to get to Alaska and back. Yeah. And then the, the bush plane, that's going to be the other big expense, but the actual tag itself isn't that much. No, it's, I mean, it's pretty much on par with any elk tag in America, really. Yeah. I mean, I, in looking at it, I can do, I figure I can do an Alaska trip, not counting getting meat back for the same price, if not cheaper, as it will cost me to do a Colorado moose hunt once I draw a tag. Because last year, the uh, non-resident moose tag was $2,400. And it's a hundred dollars per preference point. Right. And on average, you're probably looking at 18 to 20 years if you're lucky before you get to draw. And so it's like, all right, so 13 years from now, I'm going to be $2,000 into the moose hunt with still only a chance of drawing. And that's if the tag price doesn't, or if the tag price doesn't increase and if the preference point price doesn't increase which they both will yeah so, yeah for sure i mean you're starting to see that everywhere like montana's preference point went up to a hundred dollars too and it's like oof. um yeah to hunt elk you know in montana or deer in montana it's a hundred bucks just to buy the point and so yeah alaska really isn't that expensive it's logistically a nightmare um and it's unknown yeah. which I think scares a lot of people once you have to like incorporate an airplane, not only an airplane, but also a bush plane. I think it's like double yeah. whammy where people are like, I don't know, you know, I don't know where, how this is going to go, but I feel like it would be such a valuable skill for like an avid outdoorsman to like figure out how to hunt Alaska. Cause there's so much opportunity up there and figure for out sure. how to do it. DIY specifically. Um, you know, because I could call Jim Shockey tomorrow and be like, hey, put me on your next available elk hunt and write a check, or not elk hunt, moose hunt, and, you know, that's easy. He's going to be like, all right, fly into this airport on this day. I've got a gun for you. Just bring your camo. You know, here's the checklist. Bring all this stuff. I'll pick you up. And it's like, yeah, you could do that if you have the money. And if I had the money, I probably would. But it's such a valuable skill to figure out, like, spring bear, moose hunting every year, caribou hunting every year. Um, like all these opportunities that are not that expensive, you know, comparatively just the logistics. And I've had a couple people on this podcast from Alaska and one of them was a sea charter. They did like sea duck hunting and sea fishing charters for certain species. And he said, if you live anywhere reasonably close to like a freight international, like a Delta freight hub, you know, so like not your little podunk airport, but like at MSP is a Delta freight hub. He's like, it's actually pretty cheap to ship stuff i mean it would just be the same as like shipping anything anywhere and so it's like well you know i would drive across the state of minnesota to save four hundred dollars on shipping a moose you know what i mean like and i don't even have to it's in my backyard you know for you like you might have to drive to um you know st louis but you know how hard is that you probably land in st louis anyway when you fly home three hours three hour drive that's nothing i mean that that just even makes it more doable in my mind. Right. And in looking at the different tag prices in Alaska, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't go up there with only a moose tag in my pocket. 
you know, for, well, so that's... for around $1,500, you know, I think, I think for under $2,000, I could have an active moose, black bear, caribou, and wolf tag. I think wolf tags, last I checked, were $50. Yeah, they're pretty um, cheap. We just Alaska. did the uh, Alaska application bonus episode because it was uh, December 15th, 13th? 15th, I think, was the Alaska deadline for apps. And so they, they I don't know if you already know that this, but you, they have the locking tags. And yeah. so your locking tag is based on the dollar value of your animal. So, and they're free. You have to have like your permit and then the locking tag. And the locking tag is like the actual metal band you put on your harvested animal. Like sheep have plugs. Yep. And so basically like muskox was the most expensive animal. And so if you buy the $2,000 muskox permit, you could go get a free locking tag for your muskox because you have to anyway. But then you could get a free locking tag for every other animal in Alaska that you don't need a guide for. And you could use your muskox permit to shoot one of any of those other lesser value animals that you don't obviously don't need a guide for and use that, you know, corresponding locking tag. So essentially, you know, you could go to Alaska with your moose tag, but then whatever's the next most valuable, maybe a caribou, maybe, well, you know, muskox, obviously, if you want to spend 2000 bucks, you, but you wouldn't need all three because realistically you're not going to shoot four animals, right? You're like a moose and then I'll get the caribou, but I could also shoot a black bear or a wolf with that my bonus tag basically right and then like or you could do two right who knows but you know i've yeah, never went on see, a hunt that you should i would have to go i would have to go with the two most expensive and my my whole thought is like i'm the what if guy you know like well what if i do go up there with the intent of shooting a moose even if i just do a rifle hunt so that it puts all of these other animals on the table or more realistic expectation of getting something i'm like i wouldn't want to i wouldn't be able to pass up a wolf i know that for a fact because that's very high up on my list also and so it's like say i wolf and i take the wolf well now i've got a full float out and i don't want (laughs) to end up coming across a moose and not being able to shoot it and yeah, you would want the moose, like, if you're going on a moose hunt, you want the, yeah, you want the moose tag for sure, but then, you know, instead of buying all four, you could just say, well, like, okay, realistically, we're not going to see a muskox, like, we're not hunting remotely close to where the muskox lives, so you can forget about that one, and be like, okay, my options are probably, like, Sitka deer, wolf, bear, or caribou, and you just pick whatever one's the highest, maybe the bear or the caribou, and say, that's my second tag, and I could shoot any of the rest of them, so I could always get my moose, and then I could pick one of the three, you know, because you got the second yeah. most afterwards. Yeah, so that brings the price way down then from what I – because I was just factoring <laughs> if I had all four tags. Yeah. Like I purchased all four licenses, mm-hmm. and with it being that I could use it on any lesser value animal, then, yeah, I would I would go up there with two tags, spend 1500 bucks. Right. And now I've got four different species that I could potentially harvest two of the four. Right. And right. it's like that just, I mean, it just really does make it more doable. Alaska is very, very cheap aside from the travel expenses. It's very cheap to do um, in comparison to most Western states. I mean, like you, you go up a rung in the animal that you want to get 
And when they're over the counter and you don't have to put in two, three thousand dollars in preference points just to try to draw. Right. Like to actually be in the ballpark of drawing. You know, there's the freak kid that draws it with his first four points. But that happens every couple of years to one person. Whereas, you know, once you're in the eighteen to twenty point range, it becomes an actual thing that you could you could potentially draw that year. But it's like you're so deep into it at that point. I don't know where I'm going to be, what I'm going to be doing. I don't know if I'm going to be alive in 20 years. Hopefully I will. Right. Yeah, no, I hear you. Like it's – I think there's a. I think there's time for both. And I think like it's good to save up or have like that ultimate long-term strategy. Like Randy Newberg's been talking about it the last couple of years because he's been starting to cash in on some of his like lifetime hunts. And he's like, I've been saving $200 a month since I graduated college to be able to do these things. And so he just shot – he did the Cassiars in British Columbia, and he shot a, a mountain caribou and a big moose. And then he did the Yukon and shot another giant caribou and another giant moose. And then he's doing – I think it's the Henry Mountains in Utah. And he just talks oh, about, great. like, I've been saving my entire life for the – and, you know, after these three hunts, I'm going to be – kind of wiped out but that's why i've been putting this money aside for all of these time all of these years is to do these three hunts and it took me you know 30 years of saving and investing this money and i think there's a time and a place for that for sure like there's certain species you know mountain goat giant brown bears um you know doll sheep or basically at this point any of the sheep species where you're going to need some money like you're going to probably need to get guided you're going to need some money and if that's what you want to do like there's a time and a place to save your whole life to do something like that I just don't think you need to do it for moose. I think there's other options. Yeah, I it, it's really <laughs> tough for me. It's, there's so many opportunities out there that I'm realizing are attainable that it's hard for me each year to dial in and say, this is what I want to do because there's hunts that I simply don't want to give up. You know, like my Wisconsin whitetail hunt every year. It's like that's one of the things I look most forward to. Right, Missouri archery hunting. It's like to take away from that. I already take away from uh, the rut to go out and rifle hunt. Which this year, if I archery hunt Colorado instead, I can I can rut hunt here in Missouri again, which would be great because I had I had two really really nice bucks on camera during daylight three days while I was in Colorado, um, and it was tough for me, you know, knowing that. Man, if I would have been there, I could have got up in the in a certain tree, and that the one deer came through three times during daylight, hung out in front of my camera for you know five to ten minutes, and it not that it's a guarantee, but I had a really good chance of shooting him if I was around. Right. But then I get other wrenches thrown in my plans, like I I had a guy reach out from South Africa, and he wants me to come over there and hunt with him free of charge. All I have to do is get there. <laughs> he said, you can come over here, you can hunt. And the funny enough thing is I had a guest on, actually, I believe she was on the Western Rookie podcast um, before we switched over. It may have, we may have already switched over and she was on the Nomadic Outdoorsman podcast, but she actually went and did a hunt with him. Same type of deal. Oh and yeah. She's like, it was unbelievable. And she is now kind of an ambassador for him stateside to help people get these hunts lined up and figure out exactly what they need. Um, but he's like, Hey, just come over and make some content while you're here. It's promo for us and we'll cover the expense of the animals. And so 
things like that. And in the past week and a half, I've had three other people. It was crazy. It kind of comes in waves for whatever reason. I had three other people from Africa reach out asking if I would want to come hunt and I didn't dive into the details of it, but it's like, those are hunts that I want to do eventually. Right. But I think I would still choose Yukon moose over going to Africa and killing several species. Yeah. It's, it's tough. There's always too much opportunity and there's like the big hunts that you want to do every year that you're never going to miss, like the deer hunt, the elk hunt. And then, but like what also throws a wrench in it for me is like, there's all these like other hunts that you want to do in a year. And so for like me, my perfect year would be like archery elk hunting in September, do an antelope hunt in October, do a mule deer hunt in November, whitetail hunt in between. Um, but like, you know, that's already a lot of hunts in one year, especially if you have a day job yeah. like I do and you have a limited vacation. But then it's like, you know, I was talking about this, like, you know, obviously you and I, we both want to go shed hunting. Well, that's three, four days at least. Right. Yep. Um, I was going to bring this up earlier. I would love to do a Western coyote hunt. Like I'd love to go out to Montana and oh my goodness. whack 20, 30 coyotes in a long weekend. Like I have acquaintances that I think the record's like 58 coyotes in a long weekend that they've shot. I think that'd be a blast, Jeez. but it's like, how do you mix yeah. that stuff in when you're trying to plan like a moose hunt and an elk hunt and a deer hunt and all of a sudden your time's gone. Dude, this year, this year I knew it was going to be limited. In fact, I, I canceled three trips, one for a funeral and then uh, two others just because with my wife doing surrogacy, that's a lot of appointments right. for being pregnant. You know, it, it's a lot more challenging for me to say, hey, I'm going to take this time for me when, you know, we've got two kids and a dog and life still goes on even while I'm hunting. And so to put all that on her, it's hard for me to just walk away and say, sorry, I got to go do this. Right. And so this year I knew, uh, in fact, I did. I ended up hunting less than I ever have, um, even at home. I just didn't get out very much, which was tough because I had some of the biggest deer I've ever had on trail camera. In fact, I mean, this didn't really affect any of it, but I had a picture of a buck uh, and several videos of this buck, and he's the biggest buck I've ever had on trail camera. He ended up scoring 183, Oof. and I, I lost the property that I that he was on. That I used, I had access to this property for seven, eight years, and I found out this year that the owner of it sold it. And those guys went in, and in the second month of owning it, uh, which would have been the first month of archery season, they ended up killing this deer. And yeah, he scored 183 inches. And wow. so it's a Things, I mean, there's, there's, it's been a tough year to have to step back from hunting a lot, but this is her last surrogacy journey. Now going into 2024, I'm like, okay, I, I plan on doing a lot more hunting. I, I plan on ramping it up again, but I think we're going to buy a house. Yeah. And we're looking at two different houses right now. And one of them is a really good fit. I mean, I think it would be awesome. I ended up buying a side-by-side -side this year. Um, lots of lots of big things happening, but I go, okay, with buying a house, you know, is that going to give me more or less freedom to go and hunt and do these big trips? Because I just feel like at this point with two young kids and, you know, being in our coming up on our 10th year of marriage, I just feel like right now is probably when I'm going to hunt the least, you know, when the kids are more independent, when they have their licenses, like they can drive themselves to and from things 
that's going to be a little bit different. But right now, I know that there's hunts that I have to give up that I would love to do each right. year. So I think I think realistically, I'm going to try and do five trips this year. Um, five and, fall trips or five throughout the whole year? I think I'm going to do five um, throughout the year, like big trips. Okay. And three of those are probably going to be fall trips. Two of those will probably be family trips where we go down to Florida and I add in a couple days of hunting while I'm down there. Right. Or, you know, if we, if we go out as a family somewhere else, like Wisconsin, I don't really count that as a hunting trip. Um, but this year I went up and archery hunted. This is my first year out of all the years growing up in Wisconsin, my first year hunting public land in Wisconsin. And I went out there and I stuck a big buck with my bow on an island that I floated my canoe into. I figured out this tiny 70-acre island and connected on a big buck and didn't end up recovering him. Went back there, and instead of hunting the family property, I mean, it's not my family's property, but I call it the family property because my family's hunted it for 30 years. Uh, Instead of going there opening day, I drove through the night back to this island and ended up killing a big buck with my rifle and then got to lay hands on that buck that I shot with my bow. Another hunter killed it opening day. Oh, and wow. so it's like, that's a trip that I'm going to add in. Right. You know, dude, it was crazy, man. I don't know if we've talked about that hunt at all. Yeah. You called you me and, and told me the story of, oh. you know, that, you know, hunting with that crew and then going back and, um, being able to see the buck. But yeah, like it, it definitely sounded like a great, a great spot to hunt, especially for public land. I mean, for public land, phenomenal, but just oh, a great spot in general. It was, it was public land, forty acres of hardwood surrounded by thirty acres of cattails, and on that forty acres of hardwoods, we found over eighty scrapes in early October. Wow! And then when I went back, I only walked about two hundred yards of the island. And found probably a dozen and a half fresh rubs. I mean, like absolutely shredded trees. And so I'm like, okay, there's a couple mature bucks here. And sure enough, two two of them were killed on opening day. Uh, a third guy out there was basically three guys hunted that island. I didn't know the other two. They just happened to float out after I did. Yeah. And out of the three guys out there, all three of us killed bucks opening day within 30 minutes of shooting light. That's and so I'm crazy. like, this is a spot that I want to focus on again next year. Right. I'd like to get back up there and do that with my bow. So that's going to be one of my tricks. Um, but, you know, hopefully I can start cashing in some of these points. I'm going to continue to put in for moose, continue to try and draw moose, both in Maine and in Colorado. I might expand the states that I put in for points um, this year. I don't know how many states I want to do that with. I'd like to continue to learn certain places right. and just get better at hunting those places instead of casting such a wide net. Um, but it should be a fun year, man. I'm hoping to have a really, really good 2024. Yeah, I'm hoping for that too. You know, I think we got a lot of big things on our end as well. Excited to get out west for the first time hunting with my my wife hopefully we find some cool sheds together and then obviously building up the farm we just bought and our first you know we'll have our first full year on the farm that'll be that'll be exciting as well and when you talked about points i just pulled it up i have 93 points in the west 
Dang. So. Heck yeah. My answer is going to be all of them. Build points in all of the states, Dan. I know. I really need to. You know, it does. It definitely comes with a price tag, but for me, I feel like it's worth it and to start getting my kids points certain places. Yeah. Um, you know, my son. Ooh, Arizona, man. An interest in, for Arizona, yeah. it's like 10 bucks. You don't have to buy the hunting license for minors. Perfect. See, yeah. and that's my thing. It's like I, I really hate that model where you have to buy the hunting license and then you get reimbursed. I think – I, I don't know. It's well, really tough for me to yeah. put in for that type of stuff because I just feel I understand why they do it, but I also don't think it's right the way they do it. Um, that would be so, like an entire podcast on its own. <laughs> oh, it really, really would. But. And so I'm like, I like, I like the space where I can buy the preference point. They're so pricey, you know, just for the hope of one day hunting. Yeah. Um, but I'm I'm willing to do that. But the whole like pay for the license, get the money back, I just don't agree with that model. I hated when Colorado did it and I'm glad they did away with it. Right. So I think for now I'm gonna expand some of the states. Um, keep building the connections I have in other states because there are a lot of offers to go and hunt places. Uh, this year I definitely wanna try to get back out on a mountain lion hunt and then one of my number one bucket list hunts is actually trapping, uh, going out with an experienced trapper. And I've had a couple people that I've talked to now. One um, is in Idaho, and he traps anything and everything. Another one's up in Canada. And so Canada might be a, a place that I look towards hunting this year. I've, I've now built, man, I think three solid connections up there. Um, and there's guys, they're guys that, you know, those guys who just the way to get it done time and time again. Yeah. So that would be awesome. That would be incredible. So, well, it sounds like you have a pretty full year planned. I'm sure things will come up as the year goes on as well. So we'll have to maybe do like an annual co-host podcast and like, break down the year before and then talk about what's coming up on the next year. Be a little fun, little yeah, man. thing to do. But. Dude, I'd be down for that. And we need to get on an actual hunt together. I mean, yeah. we've gone and found antlers now. We need to go and try to get on some animals. I mean, pigs are an easy one to do all over the place, but uh, I'm going to, I think I'm going to Oklahoma this year for tack. I just talked to a buddy of mine who's bringing some guys up from Florida and it's pretty close to home. I've never been to attack events, so that might be another fun trip that I do for a weekend. Oh, yeah, that would be a blast. So, no, yeah, we definitely need to get on a hunt. We need to shoot something before the horns fall off. Um, and pigs is something I'd be kind of curious about, too. So we'll have to re uh, reconvene on that after application season is over and we find out what we've drawn and what we've got in the books. But Yeah, man, I'm I'm all about it. So. So let's stay in touch on that. And then, yeah, let me know if you want to expand to new places. I, I've got that spot picked out in Utah, and I'm telling you, it is a mule deer hunter's paradise. Oh, so, I always want to expand. I need to expand strategically because my wife has turned into a little little killer as well. And um, she actually outshot me this year on the whitetails. 
So, oh, yeah, heck yeah, she shot her first buck with a bow, first buck off the home farm here. Um, shot a doe in the early antler of the season, so and our deer hunting was down, so she shot two, I shot one. Um, yeah, so she took the lead this year. Now, our season's wrapped up, so she's gonna. We don't have a trophy, but if we did, she would have it um, hanging on her side of the room. So, is she competitive? Is she rubbing that in your face? She's not competitive unless she's winning. And then, um, oh, okay. yeah, so, you know, she's not really competitive, but she's like, hey, you know, you've been doing this bow hunting for a while. You haven't shot anything with, you haven't shot any bucks with your bow. You just <laughs> seem to shoot does with your bow. And I'm like, well, I don't see very many bucks I want to shoot when I'm bow hunting. So, uh, yeah, yeah, a little bit of dry spell. But, yeah, no, we've been shooting 3D League, and I think she's going to want to start doing some Western hunts with her bow, too. So that could be fun, um, fun chance to get out and yeah, shoot a spot and stock sweet. something. But, but, yeah, we'll stay in touch. You guys, you guys need to come to uh, Bowfest in northern Wisconsin this year. That is something that I think I want to do for sure. Like, I think that would be, you know, this year we had just moved into the place, and it was like our last, like, one of our first and last weekends that we both were off and didn't have anything on the calendar, like, all summer long. And so we're like, ah, we just can't keep, you know, burning the candle at both ends. So we took a just a weekend to stay home and hang out together. But this next year, hopefully, we have a little bit more stability throughout the summer, and I, that's one thing I think we would both love, especially now that, you know, she just bought a brand-new Hoyt, and she's been shooting 3D League and liking it a lot. So I think that would be really fun for her to do as well. Dude, there's a lot of prizes you can win. I uh, I had one guy, I emceed the award ceremony this year, and I had one guy that ended up winning three bows oh, and then geez. a whole bunch of other stuff. Just because he's he a great did, shot. Like, the paid, yeah, he did the paid ticket deal where you have to shoot through a steel, like it's a steel plate with a two-inch hole. Oh, yeah. And yeah. every time you make it through it, you – you know, you pay to shoot every time, but every time you make it through it, your name goes in or your ticket goes in. Yeah. And so he ended up winning a ton of stuff, but my goal is to be up there this year. It's going to be contingent on when Sam has the baby though. Yeah. So as of right now, I'm going and I won't know for a fact until we get a little bit closer. Yeah. Well, I will hopefully see you there. Yes, sir. So, but anyway, thanks for uh, joining, hopping back on the old podcast with me. Feels like old times, and I hope you uh, drive safe on the rest of your trip up to uh, Wisconsin. Awesome, man. I appreciate it. Awesome. Well, thanks for being here, and thank you for listening, folks.